0: Listening to Vet Candy.
1: So, you start the surgery, you go ahead, you open the abdomen. Do you see anything abnormal in there? What do you take us back to that moment? What are you seeing in the abdomen as you're doing surgery?
0: I cut into the stomach <laughs> and I'm like,
2: oh, yes, this looks like a hair top. This is not a hair tie. Vet Candy makes learning fun with the most exciting experts on the planet. Become a Vet Candy member for exclusive access to our library of more than 100 studio qualities and race approved videos taped in 4K. Say hello to streaming and goodbye to boring webinars with us. Plus, members can connect with specialists and licensed mental health care experts on our forums and get answers to your burning questions with our knowledge database. You can even create a custom learning plan, keep track of your progress, and track your CE credits all in one spot. Your personalized learning journey starts with us. What are you waiting for? Sign up today at MyVetCandy.com.
1: Welcome to the Vet Mysteries podcast. My name is Dr. Courtney. I'm a board-certified veterinary surgeon and fiercely devoted to pet and animal health. This podcast is powered by Vet Candy, a multimedia platform offering diverse veterinary content produced by veterinary experts and key opinion leaders. In this podcast, we unravel some of the most baffling and fascinating cases in clinical veterinary medicine. Please let us know how you feel about these cases. You can find us on socials at Dr. Courtney DVM and at MyVetCandy. Now, let's get started. Today, folks, we have a true treat. Now, I mentioned that we have the most distinguished, the most illustrious guests, and this time, I mean it. You know what I mean? A lot of times, I'm joking about that, but this time, I'm serious. We've got a, a true luminary in the field of... Veterinary pedagogy and teaching and education. I'm feeling super energized this week because I was looking forward to this conversation literally all week long. Today, we are joined by Dr. Moyle. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Moyle.
0: Yay! We'll be right back with more vet candy.
2: VetCandy makes learning fun with the most exciting experts on the planet. Become a VetCandy member for exclusive access to our library of more than 100 studio qualities and race-approved videos taped in 4K. Say hello to streaming and goodbye to boring webinars with us. Plus, members can connect with specialists and licensed mental health care experts on our forums and get answers to your burning questions with our Knowledge Database. You can even create a custom learning plan, keep track of your progress, and track your CE credits all in one spot. Your personalized learning journey starts with us. What are you waiting for? Sign up today at myvetcandy.com.
0: Hello, it is so exciting for me to meet you and to be here. And um, you have a great podcaster voice. Let me just comment on that.
1: Well, I got to be completely honest, nobody has ever told me that in a million nice. years. So it is It's nice. it with the deep sense of blushing that I'm hearing that. I appreciate you so, so much. I, I will say this. When I said that I've been looking forward to this all week, I genuinely me- meant that because you have a tremendous amount of activity going on in terms of uh, your trajectory in veterinary medicine. I get a lot of chance to talk about novel career paths in veterinary medicine. I genuinely feel like you have had a novel career path, and it's still evolving. So let's just start off by asking you, where did you grow up and what was it like there?
0: I love that term, actually, novel career path. I, I do think that that's like a perfect term for my path. So I grew up in Queens, New York, a melting pot, if you will, for sure. Tons of nationalities, tons of different cuisines, tons of great pizza, because New York, hello. And, you know, I'm the product of parents who are not from the US. So it was a really exciting experience to, you know, I had this experience at home where my parents uh, were not from America. So I was introduced obviously to what my parents grew up with. And then I was at school and learning all of these things. And, you know, these were the times we were all like at the park, kids playing outside. Like that was definitely my upbringing.
1: Of course, my parent, my mom's not from this country too. Where are your parents from?
0: So my parents are from Morocco.
1: Awesome, have you ever visited?
0: Uh, When I was young, when I was young, which is lovely. I do have plans to go back. Obviously, the the world is a little bit of an unsettled place currently. There are a lot of things going on, and so. Um, but hopefully, in the future, um, I still have some family there, which is really neat. And so, yeah,
1: yeah, that first generation uh, immigrant experience is, is is tremendous, particularly in the field of veterinary medicine, because it is that uh, that stereotype of just that hard work, put your nose down, grind hard. Everybody works hard, but there is something unique about that first generation uh, immigrant experience. I, I'm a queen. New York, you're around city, you're around cars, you're around buildings. It just doesn't seem like the type of environment where there's a ton of animals. How did that, where did the genesis, where was the origin story of pursuing a career in veterinary medicine come from?
0: You know, let's go back to that term novel we used before, right? So I didn't have pets growing up because my parents weren't from the U.S. They were like, you know, animals are on the street. We don't have animals in the house. Uh, not because my parents are bad people. They love animals. It just wasn't a thing. And Culturally, so,
1: I completely yes. agree with you. that That's exactly what I'm talking about, why I'm fascinated and, and, and hanging on your every word. Because I feel like when you say this, I'm like, that's exactly how I grew up. My parents weren't anti-animals. It just was a cultural thing.
0: Yes. And it's actually something I talk about with my students. Because sometimes, you know, as new veterinarians, we encounter people who have pets, but treat them just a little bit let's say they approach pets differently because of their, their background. And so, um, you know, I had friends who had pets and and I loved dogs and, and there were like stray cats in the neighborhood. And, and so I just kind of took a liking to all of these animals. And one day there was a stray cat and I kind of like lulled it in and was like, look, mom, get the cat. <laughs> And she was like, yes, a cat. Right. And so, but eventually I kind of brought the cat in and that was it. I knew I always loved animals. You know, I think everybody on the vet journey did, but my path did, it it meandered a bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and when I got to, so I was a collegiate athlete, so I, I went to college on a scholarship and thankfully so.
1: What sport did you play?
0: I played basketball.
1: Nice. Okay. Yes. Okay. In full disclosure, we haven't had the pleasure of actually meeting in person, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I want to say shooting guard.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I probably should have been. I'm about 5'10", but okay. I, I played a forward. I probably should have forward. been. Okay. a forward. Okay. Guard. So, but it was, a, it was a great experience. I also ended up playing water polo, which was a very, like in Queens, there weren't a lot of water polo players at the time. But you know, that academic load and being an athlete, and that was my first time kind of encountering some difficulty. And so I talked to a lot of students about this because I think, you know, they, they get a bad grade in the course and they're like, that's it. I can't be a veterinarian. And that's just not the case, right? Testing in those subjects sometimes is just uh, not a good measure of who you will be as a clinician. And so I graduated with a degree in sports medicine, I, you know, in dietetics, thought I was going to be a, a nutritionist for a sports team. And then when I graduated, it was like, No no, not my passion. Let's go back.
1: Yeah, it is fascinating to hear that, that that trajectory because I talk a little bit about the fact that when I was in vet school, I had a desire to be a radiologist. But if we were to back up a few steps, I remember expressing my three main desires for what I wanted my adult career path to be. And I remember saying uh, a chef, a veterinarian, and a magician. And I remember my mom sort of, Gently easing me away from the ladder, just (laughs) kind of towards culinary arts and veterinary (laughs) medicine. But you're exactly right. Where you think you might end up sometimes is not the case where you where you do right. It's it's just not ultimately where you are. And ultimately, what's great too is you're continuing to evolve. So in the next five years, we may have a completely different story. Speaking of stories, I do want to take a slight left turn here and talk about something possibly that maybe a lot of people don't know. This is a Vet Mysteries podcast. Is there one away that you find people might find mysterious about you?
0: As an aside, don't you think it's interesting that you are a surgeon and some might think you are a magician? I just wanted to say that (laughs) in the OR, right?
1: That is definitely the case where you think, all right, well, am I actually doing magic? To be honest with you, I feel like Mother Nature is actually the magician. I just kind of like set the stage for it to occur. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. So I certainly, I love that. I love that analogy.
0: It's probably not too mysterious. This is the only, I'm sure I could think of something maybe more mysterious with a little bit more time but I do love sports and I've done many different things over the course of my life and when I was in California I started playing roller derby and now I played roller derby for quite a few years and my derby name which one of my technicians was brilliant and came up with so I'm Dr. Moyle in real life but in roller derby I am Dr. Turmoil.
1: Okay there's so much to impact there number one when you said I participated participating in sports my whole life i was like oh maybe she played lacrosse or badminton or or nope. you know nope. or even or even now which is just taking the world by storm which is um the fastest growing sport in america pickleball pickleball right yes. so that's what i'm thinking pickleball i no, saw that you said roller <sighs> derby and then mm-hmm. on top of that, to add to add even more spice to this to this cauldron of of mystery soup, uh, you said that you are Doctor Turmoil. I don't know if I've ever heard a, a vet who has a nickname on the roller derby on the roller derby rink. Right? Is a yeah. rink technically?
0: You do get to pick. I mean roller derby players have the most amazing names you've ever encountered. It's, it's incredible. And you get to pick not only your name, but your number. Right. And so my number was, Dr.
1: Turmoil's number, was
0: 90 mils per kig, which a long time ago was the quote shock dose.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> was the shock dose. That's the shock dose divided in thirds and then yes. wait each time. So, okay. So you, so your doctor Turmoil, who's yes. 90 mils per kick. Yes. And what was Dr. Turmoil's secret weapon? Was it the elbows? What did you cut out your opponents by their knees? Did you just body them out of a ring? Like, What was Dr. Turmoil's favorite go-to move for just ah. complete and utter demolition?
0: We, you know, I almost wish it was like the movies sometimes where you could just like throw out an elbow. Yes. No, we couldn't do that. But what was really nice is I'm quite tall, but I have a pretty good center of gravity. So I have a lot of body behind me. So I, I was able to kind of get in the way of a lot of skaters. So I'm pretty proud of that because you have to prevent them from skating, you know, past you. And so, uh,
1: unbelievable. Yeah. I just yeah. have, there has to be video evidence of this. I have to see this now. I am yeah,
0: sure intrigued. there is.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Speaking of intrigued, I, we, I am super intrigued about potentially the mystery that we have to unfold oh, yes. today. We are here today to talk about a potential mystery. And I really would like to just unravel the layers of this case, just page by page, layer by layer, and just take a deep dive into what you are facing at the time to get us started. Would you Kay. mind giving us a name to your patient and possibly a signalman?
0: Let's make it a, um, it is a 11-year-old male neutered domestic short-haired cat.
1: 11-year-old domestic short hair male neutered cat named?
0: I always come up with with names for my students. King Fluffy.
1: Okay, King yeah. Fluffy. This is yeah, uh, just Fluffy. as this is just as compelling as Dr. Turmoil. So, uh, King Fluffy is eleven-year-old kitty cat. Now, h- help us set the scene. Take us to the day that King Fluffy. You saw King Fluffy. What did he look like?
0: I mean, I'm I'm keeping names to protect the innocent, right? Of so course, I'm changing names. To
1: you know? Yeah. Uh,
0: and th- this is what's interesting, I think, in veterinary medicine, and I think everybody has to remember. Sometimes, as veterinarians, we have patients who come in who have been sick for days, right? And maybe the owner didn't realize, maybe the owner couldn't get into the vet, like they have to work. Maybe, there are just so many components. It's why I think a mystery podcast is so appropriate for a veterinarian, because everything we do, to be quite honest, is so mysterious, I'm sure you know. In this case, the cat had missed a meal. Okay. Right? Now, to some, right? That'd be like, it's just one meal.
1: right?
0: right? But it's a cat.
1: Yes, yes. And so they're on it. The, the family's on it. They realize, okay, this kitty cat has missed a meal. This is not normal for my cat. And uh, because they're so sort of tuned in, and and we saw that over, certainly over COVID, over the pandemic, families just completely locked in, dialed in on their, on their pets and their species, different family members, and their healthcare. And so they're tuned in. They're saying, this is not normal. Did you get a chance to meet the family? And what was your conversation like with them?
0: So, yes, this was, you know, it's a different time now. This was pre-pandemic. And so I'm very upfront, right? I I meet the whole family. I do the exam in front of the whole family. We have a very good conversation because I want to get to know um, them and their goals for care, right? That's super important. And we also, um, sometimes if we talk them through things, we find out more, right? So maybe this cat you know, missed that meal. But when I go back in time a little bit, maybe the night before that cat was a little bit more sleepy.
1: Okay. Okay. So he's lethargic, sleepy, not eating. Does the family seem stressed at all? Are they panicked? Are they anxious?
0: They, they, they're they a little bit worried, but they have friends that are like, Ugh, you know, you guys are a little bit, aren't, don't you think you're going crazy? Your cat missed one meal.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, if you're not a cat parent, you just don't understand so you're thinking all right well he's a little lethargic he missed a meal you do your physical exam did you find anything odd or how he presented to you
0: so the cat was in fairly good body condition which was great for an 11 year old cat uh a little bit dehydrated ascolted normally in the lungs and the heart which was great uh palpated the abdomen you know Cranially, it was a little uncomfortable, but nothing startling. And uh, that was about it. Okay, so he's gr- a little
1: dehydrated, has mm-hmm. some abdominal discomfort, yeah. and sometimes it's difficult in cats, right? Because they don't want to be examined to begin with, so you're trying to figure out, okay, how much of this is behavioral versus something truly abnormal. And so, you were what was your first step towards unraveling this mystery?
0: Yeah, so uh, always good history. Always good history. You know, I think uh, sometimes we can get jaded. We're like, well, this is an 11-year-old cat with cranial abdominal pain. And, uh, you know, we can't help it. We look at the schedule, right? We're all veterinarians. We try to do that magic thing you were just talking about. And we look and we're like, hmm, pancreatitis. You know, we like roll through differentials in our head. So spoke to them. You know the cat, but we always have to go back to the basics. This is what I teach my students. So anything weird? Is he just indoors? Did he eat anything? Did you change the food? Let's like, just start with some crazy, no, nothing has been changed, nothing. Like he's not an eater of anything. he's 11. We've had him since he was a kitten. There's nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, you know, we don't have toxic plants. We don't have, uh, so nothing, nobody dropped any medications. He's our daughter's cat. He loves our daughter. He sleeps on her bed
1: sleeps on the bed, no medications. And what it sounds like as I'm hearing these responses, these, what I love about these histories is super important is that the history is not a passive process, right? I think that's super important. It's not that necessarily the patient comes in and then while they're coming in, it's just a, You know, they're sort of effusive with the details and with the history. Very frequently, you have to pull it out bit by bit by bit with some very targeted and pointed questions. Sometimes you have to uh, ask a question multiple times. Sometimes you have to go away and come back and ask a question (laughs) to give them time to remember. So they give you a history. You've done your physical exam. You've spoken with the family and you're thinking, all right, well, how are we going to investigate this cranial abdominal pain? Take us to the next step. And why did you do that next step?
0: Yes. So I agree with that statement about history and and my go-to comment, right? Because we don't want to keep asking uh, close-ended questions. Like we need to search. We need to like weave in between some of the details that they know and some that they may not realize they know. And so usually my go-to is take me back to when he was last completely normal and then let's go from there.
1: That's great. Tell me all of the details. Yeah, I love that because it really, I think that underscores exactly who we are as humans. We're just naturally storytellers. And by asking that open-ended question, take me back to that time, you're just opening them up to find a place where they naturally are, which is to tell the story. I love that so much. Which which inevitably gets more
0: complicated, by the way. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Because... You know, unlike in human medicine, where typically, right, the patient gets to tell them their history. Here, it's even more complicated because we have multiple people involved. And all of those people involved may not, in fact, be at your visit.
1: Right. That is very true. That is very true. You're trying to wrap your mind around it and you're talking to the family and you say to them, hey, listen, you know, we've got, I'm assuming, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, I'm assuming you said Hey, listen, we've we've got some options here. You know, what were they thinking in terms of what did they proceed with in terms of option?
0: You know, when we were all in school, we were like, you must do blood work, x-rays, ultrasound, urine, you know, and that's just not the way it is in real life. Right. We have people with different financial limitations, constraints. um, We have time constraints. We have what the capacity is of the people at your hospital right? If you're full of appointments, you have other things going on, procedures. And so I tend to try to take things a step at a time, but I do make them aware of like kind of the path we're going to take. And so one, I thanked them for bringing the cat in because missing one meal and a cat is an important thing. And I want to validate, which I did validate the fact that they were there and that it wasn't going a little too far as their friends had told them. Right. I would say my first step was set, was to say, hey, listen, it's a simple thing to at least start with some blood work, right? We have an 11-year-old cat. There could be some organ issues. Can't say, could it be something else? It could be, right? But this at least will give me kind of a background on what could be going on, because there could be anything going on. And so um, luckily for me, uh, lucky for me, they were on board to start there. And we had some good in-house blood work.
1: Uh, Interesting. Okay. So now we're getting into it. So you've you've taken some blood work. You're trying to look and assess, all right, how, what's, Chemistry, what's the serochemistry? Uh, what's the complete blood count? We're just, just trying to figure out what's the step organ status, right? And that yes. I look at sort of blood work as like, you know, our blood work and x-rays is like the hammer and screwdriver of veterinary medicine. It's just like the basic foundational tools that we have to, you know, fix things. So you you yes. go ahead and you do the blood work. Anything abnormal on that?
0: Gosh darn it. <laughs> no, it was great. <laughs> like it
1: was That's so important because like we when love. You, <laughs> that's so important because you know when you see something normal, it yep. helps to rule out things, right? And so things. Yeah, they, they, but it doesn't rule in anything, and that can be right. particularly frustrating. Okay. And so <laughs> you you see normal blood work, you talk to a family about it. What was the next step after that?
0: It was radiographs. It was x-rays. Absolutely.
1: Now we, we say all right we, we're not seeing anything on the on the blood work which is very interesting to me because when you say hey my my my, my kitty cat didn't eat right and they say Dr. Moyle what is what's going on you're saying yep. hey listen if I if you'd like me to generate a list of things that make cats miss a meal I yes. mean we're gonna be here it's gonna be hundreds of items long yes. so You know, it's we've got to do some tests to try to narrow that list down from 100 to maybe 50. So you take x-rays. Yes. And you're in the x-ray room. You take the x-ray. What do you see?
0: For a cat that hasn't eaten recently, or at least within a full day, there's some stuff in the stomach.
1: Oh, man. Yes. That's why I love the fact that you brought up that history. Right. Because you say to yourself, OK, if I take an X-ray and I see a stomach with food in it or a stomach with contents in it, that's yep. normal. That's what the stomach is supposed to do. Hold contents, hold food. But if the history says my cat hasn't eaten in a day, then there shouldn't be any contents, so to speak, in the stomach. I mean, would you say that's a fair, a fair estimation?
0: Absolutely. Right. It should have traveled on through whatever they ate. So I was like, something's either holding this up, something's inappropriate in there. It looked interesting. It looked All
1: interesting. right. So it looks interesting. We know gastric emptying time in cats is somewhere between 30 minutes, four hours. It should have yep. been long gone. Yep. And you're looking at this and it looks interesting. Be honest, your first inclination, your first gas, when you look at that and that contents in the stomach, what goes through your mind?
0: It's a little bit of a sad, like, oh no. <laughs> Like wah, wah, Uh, you know, because as, and I hope uh, pet parents know this, like as veterinarians, we don't want, we don't want something big. Like we want to know what's going on for their pet because of course we want to take care of them. But at the same time, we almost, we're happy we find something and then we're not happy we find things because we don't want pets to be sick, right?
1: Oh, it is tremendously a double-edged sword, particularly for us For the families, for everybody involved, because they said, you know, Doc, I'm going to use the resources that I have financially to do these tests. And sometimes a test comes back completely normal. So there's this frustration because I just paid for a test and now it's normal. But at the same time, there's this happiness because you don't want to find anything bad, right? So I get it. But in this case, you definitely did a test and you absolutely found something that is not good. You said you gave that game show tone so now you're looking at it you're not sure exactly but your first guess as to what that could be was
0: so my and again there are some mysterious mysteries that are, are bigger than this but my guess was hair ties it looked like string right which is not impossible for a cat it wasn't the holidays right sometimes we get really unique things at the holidays and it was pretty radio opaque so I was like maybe hair ties right they have a have a young person in the house, and you know. But of course, this family was emphatic. This cat does not eat things. Our child, there are no hair ties in the house, and I was like, there are no hair ties in the house. So it was a little. It was difficult for them to understand that there was something in the stomach that might that doesn't belong.
1: Okay. So they're in a little bit of incredulity. They can't believe this. It's like, are you kidding me? My 11 year old Tad ate something that he shouldn't have. I don't know about this. What are they thinking and what are you thinking to do next uh, as far as a next step?
0: Sure. This may sound aggressive, right? So I do, I do talk to people about a lot of options, right? We could have done additional imaging, so we could have done an ultrasound, right? But it adds cost to the diagnostics, right? And then I I have this radiograph that's showing some stuff in the stomach that looks abnormal. So honestly, I did mention surgery, which sounds aggressive, right? There's something in there that doesn't belong, but the owners were tentative, rightfully so. It's tough to say, my 11-year-old cat was fine yesterday. They missed one meal. There's something weird in the stomach. You're telling me today, my cat has to go to surgery, right?
1: It is is a heavy lift. There's no doubt about it. I completely agree with you.
0: And so the next step is to do a consult, a RAD consult, right? Send those RADs to a radiologist, those x-rays to a radiologist to evaluate and tell me what they think. And they'll also look at the rest of the intestines and maybe they'll give us a little bit more evidence. This also allows for the client just to like have a little bit more time to digest while they're just waiting.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, these kinds of, uh, any sort of, trauma, any sort of traumatic experience, like hearing bad news about your cat, it takes a while. You have to go through that process. You can't just go from, okay, I'm totally feeling fine about this. It it does psychologically take some time. So I like the fact that you, in fact, I love the fact that you're considering the family's feelings, emotions, psychology as you're practicing medicine. And I I think that that sometimes is an under-discussed aspect of veterinary medicine in that as you are treating this wonderful feline patient of yours, King Fluffy, and you're going through all those diagnostic tools in your head and your medical knowledge, you're also thinking about the psychology of the family, which is tremendous. And so you consult a specialist, which again is awesome because it takes a village to come to a diagnosis. And what does the radiologist say?
0: There's something in the stomach. Okay, that's all right. Be so the radiologist
1: there. agrees. With you. That's a great. That's a great sign. Radiologist <laughs> agrees with you. You take now. You have two experts. I call it the second expert yeah. phenomenon. You said there's something. Now a radiologist said something. It yes. adds a little bit more substance, a weight to your diagnosis. You talk to the family and what's their first reaction when you say, "Hey, here's what the radiologist said."
0: The one good thing you know that i got to share with them is listen you might think it's bad news but the radiologist agrees with my first assessment the good news is that right now whatever's in the stomach is in fact just in the stomach right so for families who don't who don't know right we don't want things that don't belong in the intestinal tract in fact in the intestines we would love for them to just stay in the stomach <laughs> Again, a little bit in shock, but they were sitting there. And the one nice thing about being in general practice is you get to establish really nice relationship with your clients and it builds trust over years. And that's not always the case, but it's it's a lovely thing. And it's why I love general practice. It's not that they, had, um, that they didn't have trust, but I think they were just so worried about their cat that that radiologist agreeing just gave them a little extra like, okay, this is okay, they agree. Let's do it. So I said, you know, obviously, I would support any decision they made, whether or not we start with supportive care, but I I couldn't make that recommendation at that time. My recommendation was to go to surgery.
1: Okay. Did they go for it or were they still just as hesitant?
0: Yeah. So it was tough. They were worried. Okay. Um, And finances were a concern. And this is real life. This is the struggle we face. And and this is part of the reason, you know, I talk to students about what we call spectrum of care about giving different options. And so, you know, we did talk about different resources. We did talk about credit options. We spoke about everything. Um, But ultimately what I tell clients and, and what I told them in this case is, if we wait, things will become more costly. That I can almost guarantee, right? So the more King Fluffy doesn't eat, the more dehydrated he will get. The more dehydrated he gets, the worse of a candidate he is for surgery. The you know, So there are all of these things that just kind of snowball and make things worse and he'll need more hospitalization and that I didn't want for them. And so um, they were just so lovely. And again, that trust was there and they were like, okay, Dr. Moyle, like, let's do it. We're gonna call some family. They rallied, oh, people are just so wonderful like that. Like. And when you
1: say they rallied, what do you mean? You mean they rallied resources, right?
0: Yes, they rallied resources. I mean, they called other family members. They all got together. And it's one of those things that we get to experience as doctors. And I hope we understand just how special it is that people love their pets so much. I mean, this cat hadn't been sick for many years. They've had this cat for 11 years, no issues. And they came together to take care of, of that senior, my senior king, Fluffy.
1: It is a tremendous shock, and it's a shock in so many ways because you 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 may, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but you may end up taking your species different family member kind of for granted. I mean, they've been healthy for so long. You you're able to enjoy them. You're able to come home, and they're there. They're just a they're just a part of your family, and it's just it, it's like clockwork. You don't even think twice until they get sick, and then all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks, it's very possible that I might have to say goodbye to the family member. That can sort of marshal a tremendous amount of resources from all walks of life to help help preserve and keep families together. And that's what I love about what you do, Dr. Moyle. You essentially keep families together. And I think that that's absolutely beautiful. You move towards surgery. Are you the one doing the surgery, Dr. Moyle?
0: I am the one doing surgery.
1: Oh yeah. my goodness. Okay. So you're putting on your surgery gown, you're scrubbing in, you yeah. drape the patient. What's going through your mind right then as you're in the OR, patient is draped, you're about to start the surgery. What's swimming through your mind at that time?
0: I think all of us think about this. And, and I think about this when I talk to students, right? Every time you go to surgery to look for something that quote, doesn't belong there, you hope in fact, that by the time you get to surgery that thing that doesn't belong there is still in fact in there right and i'm sure you as a surgeon know that no one no one wants to go oops right like i didn't find it it's good that i didn't find it it's very good that i didn't find it we still should have looked right. uh, and and of course i had this x-ray like it was very straightforward but that thought does enter your mind you know because of course the family rallied you don't want to let them down you don't want to spend their money veterinarians are are so amazing like they're looking to make their care so focused and and so you know financially conscious for the family like we we really do want to want to keep that path for them. And so um that thought did enter my mind, but I was like, let's let's do it. Let's go in. Let's get fluffy in and out of that let's surgery. Get a Fluffy
1: in and out. And honestly, you know, the colon has many nicknames, but sometimes I call the colon home free. Because if you have <laughs> a foreign body and it gets to the colon, Oh, it yes. is home free. You don't 100%. have to do surgery. So a lot of times when I'm about to do a porn body, a lot of young veterinarians and students will ask me, why do you take an x-ray like moments before you go in there? Why do you take an x-ray an hour yes. before you go in there? And it's because I want to know did that foreign body make it to the colon? Because if it did, it's home free. I don't need to do surgery. It's on its way out. And so uh, you are exactly right. You don't want to do surgery and that foreign body has moved or it's, you know, you didn't need to do it. So you start the surgery, you go ahead, you open the abdomen. Do you see anything abnormal in there? What do you take us back to that moment? What are you seeing in the abdomen as you're doing surgery?
0: I was giving you so many thumbs up on that recheck x-ray beforehand because a lot of us, right, we put them on fluids because we want them to be super stable before surgery. We're like, I'm getting ready. They will be a great candidate. And then you're like, oh no. So I love that. I do that also. Um, It's a good move. And so, um, you know, we get in there and a cat's stomach is quite small. Normally this cat's stomach was not small. I mean, I could not believe it. And so I actually have pictures. Uh, Too bad no one can see. Clearly I'm excited about this. And so I'm like, yes, it's there, confirmed, right? Like a vet does, we're all like, and 15 years in and I'm still like excited, right? Yes, okay, perfect, let's do it. But we do want to be careful. We want to make sure that nothing else has, especially because I thought it was a hair tie, right? I want to make sure there are no hair ties that secretly actually made it out of the stomach. So I'm like palpating, I'm running the bowel, I'm running the bowel, I'm running the bowel, I'm like, you know, checking to see if it was home free over and over. I probably might say I overdo that, but I would rather um, triple check myself than to try to you know make a mistake um and it does happen because we're human but i i'm just really like emphatic about that so uh localized to the stomach she secretly cheers in her mind right so the techs don't think she's crazy plus i have some music playing in the or because like i like to focus with my music on i cut into the stomach (laughs) and i'm like oh yes this looks like a hair tap this is not a hair tie.
1: Oh my goodness. Pause there, please. Because I'm there with you. I'm in the award. I'm looking at the stomach. I'm seeing the gastrotomy, the incision you made in the stomach. What music is playing in the background? Is this, I mean, I mean, thanks for
0: asking. I really appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Is this soft rock? Is this, I mean. Oh no, no.
0: It's, it's 90s hip hop.
1: Okay. It's 90, it's 90, no? Okay. So we have, we're about to make, we're doing our gastrotomy. We're yes. about to pull something foreign out of the abdomen. Yep. We've got Biggie Smalls playing in the background. Oh yes. Cause I'm and from Queens. Yes. I mean, you're, you're thinking, here. you're thinking this is a hair tie and it's not a hair tie. What are you seeing as you are extracting this foreign body out of the stomach?
0: You know, I I think some of us have that heartbreaking moment because hair ties are right, circular, and and I expect to like grab a couple and this should be great. And I go, and I'm like, what, what? (laughs) So heartbreak, heart, what is happening? (gasps) It looks so much like a hair tie. No, it wasn't a hair tie. So this took a little bit of like, you know, palpating the mucosa and I'm grabbing instruments to try to like loosen things and grab things. I don't know if you have an idea of what else it could
1: be look. Right. Oh, man. Um, this is the first time I've ever had a guest yes. ask me to guess. Turn it, around. it I'm going to say something anchored, something that is uh, looks like a hair tie. Yep. I'm going to say rubber bands. I, I mean, what what could it have been? A ponytail holder? I, I don't know. I don't have a ponytail <laughs> personally, but I would guess that if it looked like that's what it could look like. Scrunchies. Um, are these all like real things, or am I just valid. saying not <laughs> make sense? Sorry about that. I,
0: yeah, I, I really appreciate challenged. the scrunchie comment. That was okay. that was really spot on. Okay. Yeah. So close. So it did look like it did look like a hair tie. So as I start, so I'm unraveling this up. There are knots in it, right? So okay, it's string, but it's elastic. It's thick like a hair tie, but not plasticky like a rubber band. And again, I am saying, what is happening? So now I'm starting to gently like pull it out. It was a little bit anchored at the duodenum, right? So right at the head of the intestine, like it's trying to make its way out. I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling, I'm pulling. And still at the end, so I I got this whole plug of string out and I'm like, what is this? What is this? So, congratulations, Dr. Moyle, you have extracted said foreign body. Let's proceed with surgery and get the cat out, and then we'll look at the foreign body after, because I still have no idea. Now, most of us take a quick look, which I did, and I still had
1: zero clue. Unbelievable. So you almost have to do two dissections. You had to get to the stomach to remove the foreign body. And then after the surgery, you had to dissect the foreign body to find out what it was. So, yes. okay. So I'm assuming King Fluffy, you know, you were able to close that gastrotomy, nice standard two-layer closure. He recovers yep. from surgery. He does well and he recovers from anesthesia at, at this point.
0: He did great. Okay. I am so thrilled. And this was a testament to the, to the owners, right? Because oh. They, they caught it at missing a meal.
1: So this okay. was incredible. Okay. So yes. he recovers from anesthesia and, you know, you and I kind of are, are, are characterizing gastrotomies as somewhat of a straightforward procedure, but yeah. they're only straightforward, you know, if you know what you're doing, If it, but it, a gastrotomy can be a complicated thing if you're not yeah. sure exactly what you're doing. So, okay. I'm so, I'm so happy for you. You did an awesome <sighs> surgery. Now we go back to the forward body
0: yes. and now you have
1: to dissect that too. To find out what it is what are you finding in this foreign body
0: if everybody could be watching i'm like throwing my hands up in the air like what is it i'm like rinsing i'm trying to unknot like texts are like everybody's taking a guess you know trying to figure it out and finally i was like I- I just have to. I have to ask the family. I. I don't know
1: so you're I in think. the sink. You've got the water yes. running. You're trying yes. to wash off all of this stomach yes. debris. Like, uh, you're like pulling things <laughs> apart. It's like you're doing a Rubik's cube, switching things around, spinning yes. around things, yep. and you still you're still befuddled oh. as to what this could be. You 100%. finally go to the family and say, "All right, this alien that was in your cat's stomach." What do you think it could be? And what was your answer?
0: I think the Rubik's Cube analogy was great because the strings were also different colors. So I was Got like, it. what is happening? The owner's like, the family takes a look at it for a second. And they were like, I don't know. No, I can't even believe he it in- Wait a second. We've been missing some of his cat toys, which are the strings that are on a plastic handle. You know, wow. that have like the feathers at the end. So." Nice. The feathers were gone, but the cat had eaten multiple bungees, like the string holding the toy at the end of the plastic handle. And they were like, "Oh, we just thought they were gone."
1: <laughs> wow! So, so the cat it was two
0: or three. Yeah.
1: So this is part of a cat toy. Yes. These are these. It's not that the cat ate something that he wasn't supposed to play with. This right. was something that cats are designed to play with and it still ended up causing a problem.
0: Yes, and they were thick string, right? So I think all of us probably have, if you have a cat, you have this one toy, you know, it's got feathers or something at the end, and you like watch your cat jump around. They didn't even know where these toys had come from. Like they think that they had had them in the past, but now Fluffy's 11. Like they don't even know where these toys were. And so the fact that he had eaten them, they were like, hmm, yes, that is what that is.
1: Oh my goodness. And so, do they have other cats at home?
0: So, thankfully, no.
1: Okay. Thankfully, no. Because immediately, you have to think, all right, if this is dangerous, if this is is probably one of the most expensive cat toys ever now, thanks to this foreign body, I have to be worried about other animals. And fortunately, they do not. Uh, And I'm assuming... Now, is this one of these cat toys that you have seen before, or is it a novel cat toy that you're like, oh my goodness, I've never seen this before? I can't believe this is causing a problem.
0: I swear to you, again, I am a cat owner. I have had, you know, a couple of them. I have the cats that look at me like, why are you bouncing that in front of my head? You ridiculous human. This is we're not jumping for that. I'm not your toy, right? And so uh, we're just the, over
1: it. Yeah. Yes, they're over,
0: over it. it. Just like a, a it's a string with a couple of feathers. So this thick kind of bungee they really picked some hardy toys like I have I hadn't seen it's very good quality right so there we go but unfortunately for Fluffy it was not the ideal thing to ingest yeah
1: oh my goodness and put a period at the end of the sentence for us Fluffy ended up doing well and is continuing to thrive
0: yeah Oh, so that's thankful awesome celebration did, did them, yes did i have them get rid of anything that could be string like and and even though he hadn't eaten hair ties did i have to warn them because hair ties do have that quality right smaller scrunchies do have the quality of that like bungee cord even bungees i had to tell them they like have to be very very careful with in their house and so at 11 even though he had never done this with which again, we have to, I talk to students about this, just because an animal has never eaten anything their whole entire lives doesn't mean they won't eat it, decide to just one day eat something, right?
1: Oh, I love that. I love that messaging because it is, you would think that eating foreign objects or things that they shouldn't, sort of this dietary indiscretion, you would feel like that's juvenile behavior, yes. right? That's a young kitten or a young cat behavior to do. They just put things in their mouth. But as you can see, any cat, any cat could certainly be susceptible to that, and also too. This is an excellent new. This is an excellent story, but a lot of times these foreign body uh, cases they don't turn out like that. Particularly because you and I know linear foreign bodies certainly ha- are more pernicious and deleterious than those that are solid because they can sort of plicate or scrunch the intestine up like an accordion or a drawstring pants. You know, so the fact that it had a linear component. And he ultimately still did well, I think is a testament to the family and of course, to your surgical skills. So excellent job.
0: I appreciate that. And, and I do want to urge professionals and, and families alike, maybe it didn't start out linear, but it could become linear. So like if a dog rips up a towel... Right, so we're like, oh, maybe it ate a towel. At least that might be sitting there. But oftentimes they'll strip it or shred it, and that's equally like as threatening to become a linear foreign body. And I think, yeah, that's a
1: that's a great point. In that, you know, see something, say something. You did do something. Find out early. But you're right. Things that seem solid could end up having a linear component. I was literally going to ask you, is there a message that you have for people listening, professionals? But you you read my mind. You're playing <laughs> chess here and I'm playing checkers. You are way, <laughs> five steps ahead of me. That is such a great messaging that we never talk about it. I rarely hear any doctor bring up the fact that a solid foreign body can become linear. Thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate yeah. that. Listen, Dr. Moyle, I, I got to be honest with you. I was just hanging on every word. This was an absolutely fascinating case. Yes, straightforward kitty cats can eat things. We all know that. But when you start to think about supervising your cat with a brand new toy, when you start thinking about older cats who are eating foreign objects, when you start thinking about the spectrum of care and decision-making in terms of getting to that stage, there are so many pearls of wisdom that you continue to drop. And I am so thankful for you to do that. Could you do us a favor? Let everyone out there know how they can hear more from you or how they could contact you or see more of what you've got going on.
0: Again, I appreciate you inviting me to be part of this. This was wonderful. I have an arsenal of mysterious cases, should you need any in the future. I am currently a professor at Cornell where I teach general practice surgery and these skills and communication skills. So if they uh, Google me, they will see me on that front. But what is really exciting is I just started co-hosting The Reel on My Vet Candy.
1: Yes, this is amazing, amazing. You are all every bit of and, and what a host should be. You have all the trappings, the telegenic nature, the personality. You've got it all. So I invite everybody to tune in to Vet Candy to see more of Dr. Moyle. And of course, do you have a, a social media handle that people can reach out to see? Yes.
0: Yeah, so I am on Instagram. I try to keep up with my younger cohorts in keeping it current at Dr. Dr. moyle M-O-Y-A-L on Instagram. So come follow me. I post some interesting surgical pictures. I post my students, what they do, um, some interesting scenarios.
1: dr.moyal. Say- Dr. Yes. Yeah. All right. This is perfect. This is absolutely perfect. I am so energized. And by the way, you put it out there, so I'm going to hold you to it we certainly would love to invite you back for a round two. Would you be open to that?
0: Love it. Uh, Yes.
1: All right. That's excellent. It's a deal. I'm going to hold you to that. Thank you again. And of course, I look forward to talking with you again soon.
0: Thank you so much. We'll be right back
2: with more Vet Candy. Vet Candy makes learning fun with the most exciting experts on the planet. Become a Vet Candy member for exclusive access to our library of more than 100 studio qualities and race approved videos taped in 4K. Say hello to streaming and goodbye to boring webinars with us. Plus, members can connect with specialists and licensed mental health care experts on our forums and get answers to your burning questions with our knowledge database. You can even create a custom learning plan, keep track of your progress, and track your CE credits all in one spot. Your personalized learning journey starts with us. What are you waiting for? Sign up today at myvetcandy.com.
1: There you have it, folks. That was Dr. Moyle, an absolutely scintillating discussion. She kept us energized at the edge of our seat the entire time. I mean, she brought up so many pearls of wisdom, but most importantly, we had no idea what the mystery was at the end. And so it is, for me, a mystery to how Dr. Moyle can be an excellent clinician and take care of people's families and and their cats and their patients but then be also dr turmoil on the roller derby court it's just unbelievable that dichotomy that she has so there's so many mysteries and lessons but we please please let's join us for the next episode of vet mysteries where we'll have more distinguished and illustrious guests so until next time remember there's nothing stronger than the human animal bond and please take care of your pets and each other
0: Candy Radio.